What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Bill's Chat on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh with me tonight. As always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing? Doing good. It was a nice, relaxing week for once. You know, it was just one of those ones and the weekend even now leading into this recording here. It was one where it felt weird to have a normal weekend, I guess is the way to put it. So, you know, we have this episode here tonight that we're recording that will be out for everyone to listen to on Monday morning and on. And it, you know, it should have a relaxing feel to it, or at least my voice might seem relaxing at times just because uh, it felt good to kind of and weird all at the same time to just be relaxed not really have much to look forward to, but at the same time, nothing to really keep us down either. It's just a weekend that now we can, I am happy to be sitting down talking to you again and we can have a little fun with this episode. Yeah. So we had the senior bowl this weekend, which obviously a lot of the news came out of practice and Luca and I will be diving into all the draft stuff here in the coming weeks. Um, we had the pro bowl weekend. I will raise my hand to this guy and tell you, I did not watch a minute of that. I saw the highlights, buffalobills.com posted on Twitter for Stefan Diggs and Dawson Knox and all that. But, Jordan Poyer winning the long drive. That's great for him. I did not watch any of that, but I don't know, Luca, I'm with you. Like this was a, this was a relaxing weekend and every, every year, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this and this is not a sports point here, but when, when the calendar turns over to the new year, you all kind of, we all kind of make these resolutions and man, like every year I'm like, I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to start working out better. And I, I'm starting to hit this thing where like I'm starting to see results because like I usually go to the gym on a fairly frequent basis, but like the diet doesn't always match it. And then I usually get serious after the first of the year. And then the way my family goes, it's like there's birthdays spaced out once every month in February. And, you know, my family, it's like we're all going to just gorge on food and cake and snacks. And I ate way too much tonight, Luca. And I'm just like, oh, I'm dreading what the scale is going to say tomorrow. And then I'm thinking I got five or six more days until Super Bowl and I'm going to do it all over again. And I know you have a wedding coming up. So this this is kind of probably relatable to you as well. Like it's tough to, to stay focused in this this healthy mindset. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you have a goal and, you know, you can you can stick to it as much as you want and keep it in mind as much as you want. But once in a while, life throws you a curveball that throws you a situation where. There's just no way around it. You got to kind of fight through it. And maybe you got to overcompensate a little bit for it in the back end there afterwards. But uh, yeah, once in a while, it's it's tough, you know, when life throws you that little thing there. I mean, I'm in the same boat as you, you know, today it kind of splurged a little bit. And then, of course, right there next weekend, we have the Super Bowl. Everyone knows what the spread is like at the Super Bowl. It's not exactly what you call a dietitian's favorite night of food. So um it you just got to work through it and then eventually realize that maybe you got to put in a little extra work after that point to get back to the point of where you were there so that next thing you know where that goal is and the time is to that we're looking forward to everything's gravy again and you're exactly where you wanted to be i hope so i hope so yeah and i'm with you and you know as you get older in life let, let josh give you some wisdom here as the 40 year old in this podcast folks out there as you get older in life like the, the get togethers you have become a little more special and then like the super bowl we're going to be seeing people family friends um that we don't get to see very often at all like friends of the family that maybe we go year or two without seeing particularly these last couple of years with covid so you know i'm I'm certainly going to enjoy myself and not be worried about like sticking to a calorie count, but it's just, you know, maybe it's some stress that people out there can relate to. We do have some bills news to get into tonight. And then we are going to do the bills chat, Buffalo bills, 2022 season awards. 
I know you're excited about this, Luca. That'll kind of be our bow on this season, as then we will start focusing all of our attention on looking ahead to this offseason and what it's going to take for the Bills to get where we want them to get to in 2023. We do have some Bills news, though, to get to, Luca. There was a coaching change, but it wasn't the one that many of us were thinking might be happening. The Bills fired safeties coach Jim Salgado, and the team did announce that, which tells me that if there were more moves coming, then they probably would have been included in that post. I went back and did some research, Luca. Under Sean McDermott, the Bills have fired two coaches. They fired Rick Dennison after the 2017 season, five days after the season ended. They fired Danny Crossman, special teams coordinator. This is just coordinators, by the way. Danny Crossman, special teams coordinator, four days after the 2018 season ended. So five days firing, four days firing. Sean McDermott wouldn't commit to anybody in his end of season press conference that he still is evaluating things. It's been 14 days and the team has officially announced the Jim Salgado Gaudo firing Luca. It sure seems to me like the bills are running it back with Dorsey and Frazier. Yeah. All signs point to it. You know, I wouldn't expect anything crazy going on here. It is what it is. Um, whether we agree with that is moot at this point. It seems like, you know, um, I would love to see a change still from Frazier, at least see or test the waters, we'll call it, of what's out there. If, a you know, change of scenery for Frazier or, you know, bringing someone in to give a different voice to that room, that defensive room, uh, it could kind of boost things up. That'd be great. But the reality is, as you said, history generally has a trend for a reason. That's just how people operate or how they want things to work. Um, I'm trying to think the one thing that I noticed wasn't brought up was the special teams coordinator last year, but I know that's because he walked away or there's a mutual, you know, agreement or whatever that was. I don't know when that happened, but it was shortly after it's the same time frame as what we've talked about with these other coordinators. So if anyone wants to even bring that one up, it's pretty similar. Um, it's just, that's just how they operate. Like they, it's almost in a way where something we love about this organization in front office is they like continuity. They like, you know, things to be in-house and similar and they have this, you know, they have this process that they love and they, you don't exactly maintain a process, maintain a culture and all that stuff by blowing things up and going crazy and haywire. Um, you'd like to see some drastic changes when you have results like they have recently. But at the same time, if these guys that are currently there making these decisions believe in a process, believe in everything they do, you shouldn't be surprised that they don't just blow everything up and they kind of just make small changes here and there where they think maybe something else could happen or something wasn't happening there that they just need to bring something else in, whatever the case may be. It, it's just, it's unfortunate for anyone that thinks that a major change needs to happen. And I'm sure there's plenty out there. Uh, both Josh and I are included in this, but the reality is they've been doing it the same way before as Josh has brought there up. And it's like, don't be surprised that this is where we currently find ourselves without the lack of a major change due on the offensive or defensive side. It's just one individual has been let go and they'll fill his role with someone that honestly, is it even that big of news who that person is? Not really. It's just a positional coach, but it, it, it just is what it is. And, you know, it doesn't really need too much thought into it. I think beyond that. Yeah. So if you listen to us on the end of season post game show, uh, you know, we were obviously were a little bit more aggressive and fired up, you know, 14 days have gone by cooler heads now are here. I 
I still think Luca that gun to my head, I would have preferred to see a shakeup. My idea would have been better on the defensive side of the ball. And I understand everything people say about how it's McDermott's defense. So Frazier would actually be the scapegoat in that scenario. But the way the last three seasons have ended 42 points in the AFC title game, 38 last year, blowing two leads under the two minute warning and then 13 second debacle and then touchdown on the opening drive of overtime. And then the Bengals this year doing everything they wanted to again with three backup offensive linemen in, I felt like it warranted a new set of eyes on the defense. And yeah, I understand it's McDermott's defense too. And maybe predominantly McDermott's defense. McDermott was never going to go. So the way to maybe get a significant change without throwing the baby out with the bathwater was to change the defensive coordinator while McDermott is still here, get some fresh eyes. And that does not appear to be happening. I don't think it has to be a bad thing. Um, you know, Frazier and McDermott, as Bean likes to say, they have a lot of skins on the wall and it's a lot of success, at least as far as regular season goes. And I think as we get deeper into this offseason process and, you know, the reality of just running it back with this coaching staff becomes more and more what we're facing, which is what it seems like right now. I think the conversations will heat up about they didn't have Von Miller. They didn't have Micah Hyde. Jordan Poyer, whether he comes back or not, was probably playing at about 75% of his full health with all the injuries he was dealing with. Greg Rousseau was dealing with a high ankle sprain the last half of the season. And, you know, there's enough excuses there. They played a playoff game without Daquan Jones, who you could say is in the top three of most important players in that defense. Tredavious White was working his way back from an ACL injury. And you can just see where there was enough going against the defense. They lost DeMar Hamlin. Um, there's enough going against them where you can start making excuses, if you want to call it that, for why it'll be better even with the same coaches. So we'll see what happens. Certainly sitting here on February 5th recording this, February 6th when you're listening to this, that's what it sounds like. But, Luca, we have one more show to do on these 2022 Buffalo Bills before we can officially turn the page to the offseason. And I know that you and I just love the offseason. We certainly wish it was a couple weeks away. Like hopefully there was a Super Bowl in our future and we could watch the Bills go against the Eagles and maybe host, hoist the trophy. That is not going to happen. But I do want to take one more episode and really wrap up this season with an end of season award show. And I think it's a good way, a good exercise for us and for everybody listening to really understand that even though the season came to a very abrupt, disappointing ending, there was a lot of good things that happened this season. Yeah, it's it's hard to see in the moment when the season ends, right? It's hard to, you know, kind of look at the season as a whole, encapsulate it all in your brain and kind of analyze it as it is entirely. You know, you you were prisoners of the moment. You the last thing that happened, the last game you watched your team play is of course what sticks in your mind most. You know, as Bean says, the last game of the season and the last loss of the season you learn a lot about your team. Um, you know, that's just what naturally you're going to kind of hold on to. But now as you said, we have this great exercise here to kind of at least enjoy the positives that were of this season and everything that came with it, whether it's individuals, there's also just a team award that we will be kind of handing out if you want to call it handing out, but you know, just acknowledging out there and just let's look at a little bit of the positives here because you don't exactly have a 13 and three team 
and, you know, think that everything was negative about this season. It's, you may have had expectations about this team making the Super Bowl and hopefully winning the Super Bowl. And I was one of those as well. But it's not like I can sit here, or at least if I did sit here and act like everything was awful because we didn't hit that expectation that this team sucks and everything was miserable and the, you know, no one deserves any accolades for it. Like I would look like a fool if I started talking like that. There was a lot of good. There was a lot of great things that happened this season and people deserve acknowledgement and stuff. And then it's healthy for us as fans sitting here talking about it to kind of reflect on those positives, look at those good things and then take those things into this off season, moving into the 2023 season where hopefully they can maybe get to those expectations and goals that we have for this team and organization moving forward with 17 and everyone else in that dressing room. So it's, it's, it's going to be a fun episode. I'm excited to talk a little bit about it. I'm excited to go through these awards we have planned for this and um, talk about a little bit of positives now that we're uh, two weeks separated from the last game that this team played. And we can kind of at least reflect on what was the 22 season and 23 playoff season. And we have seven awards we're going to go through tonight. We have team MVP, offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, game of the year, rookie of the year, most improved player. And for those of you who listen to our podcast on the post game show, you'll be familiar with this one. One overall Zach Moss Memorial Award game check. It, it's a nice way of saying the least valuable player of the team. So we're going to start Luca with one I'm super excited about. And one that has a lot of good options. We're going to start with the game of the year for the 2022 Buffalo bills. And this bills team, man, they had a roller coaster ride. They finished 13 and three, but especially down the stretch, there were a lot of close games down the stretch and there are a lot of worthy candidates. And I'm, I'm really interested, Luca. And I guess we should say, Luke is going to give his award. I'm going to give my award. So there could be two different MVPs. There could be two different game of the year awards. We're just going to talk through it. We'll post it on Twitter and we'll see who you guys vote for having the best candidates out there. Luca, I'm interested to see who or what gets your game of the year award for the 2022 Buffalo bills. Ooh, I love going first for this one. Um, so a lot goes into this. And um, initially, as you pointed out, a lot of, uh, good games down the stretch there to lock things up, make things happen, all of that fun jazz. And it's natural and easy to kind of point to one of those games, whether, you know, and I would rattle them off here, but I don't want to kind of spoil the fun that Josh potentially could have here. Cause the other thing that Josh didn't share there is we have not shared with each other who our picks are before this recording right now. So this is kind of going to be, you know, gun from the hip, just see what we got and then we'll discuss through them. When I was thinking about game of the year, there were some uh, obvious choices here. And the one thing I will say is Josh did tell me that he had his own criteria of needing it to be a Bills win for a game of the year. And initially, I wasn't even considering that. I was kind of almost looking at it from a fan standpoint, just a general fan standpoint. But then one, the obvious answer kind of kept popping in my head. And two, it wasn't as fun because unfortunately, it wasn't as fun of a game for a Bills fan. So I kind of was like, okay, I like that rule. I like that criteria. Let's let's go with that. It has to be a Bills win. It can't be just as a general football fan, as a Bills fan. What is the game of the year? And then the funny part is my mind kept going to one for me personally. This was like my apex of the season. And it's for a couple of reasons here. Um, one, the hype going into this game was an all-time high. 
Like this was like a game where me personally, as a Bills fan, as someone that loved recording this podcast for you guys listening here, this was where I had a lot of strong opinions that I don't think everyone shared. And I was overly confident to the point with my money that thank God the Bills backed it up almost to the teat perfectly as what I had talked about leading into it, not just for a week, but weeks going into this game. And after that, I had never felt more confident about what I knew about with this team and what I thought this team could be capable of moving forward, that this was the pinnacle of my season as a fan and the game I enjoyed the most personally. And that is the season opener, Bills Rams. That was my game of the year. That has to be my game of the year. I was, Josh even at times was thinking I was bold and saying, this isn't going to be close. I don't care about this Rams team at all. The Bills are absolutely going to borderline embarrass them on national television, on their banner night, even knowing, you know, banner nights are not good for the team coming into it and all of that stuff. I did not care. I was so overly confident that this was a game the Bills should be able to dominate from start to finish. And even with some speed bumps, I think we all can agree they dominated start to finish. I almost got the score even perfect on my prediction. So it just had to be for me, Bills Rams opening night that dominating performance by them and really the uh yeah there's a reason we are betting super bowl favorites going into this season kind of statement i it just it had to be for me that is a great pick and it's i'll tell you it's not one that i gave a lot of consideration to because i think in my mind i was thinking about games that were closer because of the whole like game of the year but the thing you said that's really important is the game you enjoyed the most and that's fine. Like this is from a Bills fan perspective. And I don't think there was a game this year that I enjoyed more than that opening night. And you just think about how storybook perfect it was. You had in the history of the Super Bowl champions opening at home on Thursday night, you've had one Super Bowl champion lose up until that point. And then we had two, obviously, with the Rams losing to the Bills. And they didn't just lose. They got smashed. You had Von Miller returning to play his old team and coming up with two sacks. You had Josh Allen sticking it to Jalen Ramsey, which has been a storyline throughout his entire career from the moment he was drafted when Jalen Ramsey called him a bust. You had LeBron James and The Rock at that game talking about how awesome the Bills looked. And it was just a chef's kiss, perfect night that I honestly went back and rewatched that game multiple times. It was so enjoyable. So I think that is a fantastic pick. That is not my pick, but I'm a little jealous that I didn't think of that one uh, because the ones I thought of, Luca, probably were ones more like week four in Baltimore where the Bills fell behind and came back and Josh Allen really willed that team to victory. And it was really sharp fourth quarter time management by the coaching staff that allowed them to win the game without giving Baltimore a chance with the ball. Or week six in Arrowhead where – Everything we dreamed of this team doing this offseason when we signed Von Miller, the closer, the guy who can stop Patrick Mahomes with the ball in his hand at the end of the game, did it twice at the end of the game. And those two games stuck out to me. But I will tell you, as far as game of the and like special shout out to the Thanksgiving game in Detroit. I was there. One of the one of my favorite experiences in person in my life. And, you know, got to lift my wife up when Tyler Bass's field goal goes through just a really fun moment. And then the way the bills were so undermanned from a roster standpoint that day, especially with Vaughn going down mid game. 
and to just see like the, the lions were the better team that day. Like they really were. The bills were out of gas. They had just done the thing with Cleveland where they had to get out of the blizzard the week before you could tell that their tank was on E they lost Von Miller, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs just willed them to victory that day. And I loved it. But my answer, Luca is going to be, we've named a lot of road games. I'm going to go with a home game week 15. The bills win 32 to 29 against the Miami Dolphins the week before Christmas. And everything about this game was just beautiful. You had snow falling from the sky. You had these two teams that were neck and neck to this point in the AFC East race. And the Bills, having lost week three in Miami, had to go out and avenge their loss. And they were down by eight points in the fourth quarter. And Josh Allen brought them back. And then you get the Tyler Bass field goal at the end. A back-and-forth struggle. And it really felt like to me, even though they did go on to clinch the AFC East a couple weeks later, that this was the game that won them the AFC East. And that was that was the tail end of their three straight AFC East games in a row. And it was it was such a pivotal point of the season. And I they ended up winning it the next week in Chicago, the AFC East. But they kind of put the nail in the Dolphins' coffin as far as the division goes. And I just loved everything about that scene. I loved how emotional the players were. And at that time, it really felt like that was the start of something great for these Bills, you know, really establishing themselves as we are still here to fight even without Von Miller. And, you know, honestly, looking back on it now, it might have been the last peak of this team. Yeah, that last right there, that last point you just made, I actually that's exactly where my head is at now with that game. That seems to be the game where it was the last high of the season. It was the last kind of we finally got over this hump. As you pointed out, technically it wasn't clinched, but that really was the final nail in the competition when it comes to the division. And you really felt like we got over the hump. Okay. Let's just focus on seeding. From that point, it was all about seeding. It was all about, can we still get the one seed? How can we get the one seed? What needs to happen? How do we you know, maintain a higher seed than Kansas City and or Cincinnati? Things like that. And that's really where it came you know, it came full. That was perfect. It was beautiful. It was awesome. We're able to sit down and enjoy a Saturday night late on the East coast here with the bills winning and putting that nail in. And it was just, it was a wonderful time. And then all of a sudden, when you really look back on it, things were not really smooth from that point on, unfortunately. And it just, due to some unfortunate circumstances, of course, it just seemed like the wheels were slowly coming off and the reality of this team started to sink in a little bit and we were just not able to recover. Um, but it's a great pick. Like when it comes to meaningfulness and kind of the season as a whole and getting to where they needed to get to, to get into the postseason in the position they were, it makes absolute sense in the world. Yeah. It, it was definitely on my list. And, you know, of course the other ones you brought up Baltimore, Kansas city, those were of course there as well. Kansas city was a real close second to me. Um, and then naturally just kind of to give it a shout out as a general football fan, I believe Josh can even agree if we didn't have this bills need to win rule, the, the Vikings game, whether you want to believe it or not, that was the game of the year as a general football fan. It was just an unbelievable game of football. It sucks that the Bills ended up losing that game and effectively cost them probably a coin toss potential of a one seed or whatever would have happened with a game less played than Kansas City. I don't know. I guess they would have maybe done win percentage in that case and been like, oh, hey, look, the Bills get the one seed. Wouldn't have really mattered. Um, maybe. Who knows? Uh, so I'm not going to play that game. But that was a great game of football. Great pick, though, Josh. I thought that was perfect. You know, it, it, when it comes to just what the game meant, what it 
it allowed this team to achieve and kind of lock things up with it's why they were the 13 and three team that they were. And also the two seed and division winners. That is the game that kind of finished it off and got them to that path. Yep. And um, it's, it is, it's kind of depressing to think about like what ended up happening with the season after that game took place, but it is what it is. This is a happy show tonight. And uh, we are going to move on forward now with the rookie of the year award. And if you are so inclined, if you want to go back and listen to Luca and my episode of built in Buffalo live on Friday, we actually went back and graded the entire rookie class and not only gave them letter grades for their rookie seasons, but also projected what kind of roles they can have in the future for these bills. So I think we were both pretty well prepared to hand out a rookie of the year award for the bills. And, you know, Luca, the way the Bills managed this rookie class, I think, was frustrating for a lot of Bills fans. Um, there were guys like Khalil Shakir, Kyer Elam specifically, who it felt like they could have been on the field quite a bit more than they were. And there were opportunities and a need at that position for those players to be more involved. And it and it just didn't happen. Um, so I'm interested to hear from you now who... Who is your Buffalo Bills 2022 Rookie of the Year? Um, just to keep it short and simple, because I think, you know, both you and I have kind of beaten these. I don't want to say it that way. That's pretty cruel. We have talked at length about these rookies. That's a much better way. Uh, at length about these rookies and everything. Our opinions can be heard. If you'd love to listen back at that, our report card uh, episode for Built in Buffalo Live, as Josh pointed out this past Friday, is up on Built in Buffalo's YouTube. Um, with that said, everything that we talked about, it kind of came down to two names for me, maybe three. It just sucked. My my real rookie of the year, to be quite honest, if he could have just played too many or a couple more games, a few more games, had not have health issues, I would have loved for him to be that guy. Unfortunately, I just want to give him an honorable mention for me. Christian Benford, I still love you. I hope, you know, you are fully healthy next season and can be that guy. I know you are. I know you are. It's not even, I know you can't be. I know you are. But due to your health, you have to be available in order to kind of be a guy. And unfortunately for you, not that it's your fault. You are not available enough. And availability is very important. So because of that, my rookie of the year is going to go to James Cook just simply based on what he was able to provide both in this season at times, but then where he projects to be for this offense and this team moving forward. It just seems to be that he's the guy to really give this award to. Um, it, he's just the one that kind of stands out among the rest. Yeah, I think the James Cook one, it makes a lot of sense. And I hear everything you say about Christian Benford. It is unfortunate that his season was derailed by injuries. The hand injury he suffered week three in the sun game against Miami and then the oblique injury he suffered on Thanksgiving against Detroit. Um, that one really did end his season for good. He was activated off of IR, but then never came back to me. This one came down to James cook versus Kyir Elam. And as we talked about on built in Buffalo live on Friday, that Kyir Elam really, as far as play goes, did almost anything you would want from a rookie. He was according to PFF, the Bills' highest-graded boundary corner on the team. He um, he intercepted Pat Mahomes. He had an interception in a playoff game against the Miami Dolphins that truly did 
turn the tide of that game and get the Bills back into that game. He has elite, elite, elite ball skills. He has very high-end athleticism, and he really just needed more time on the field to develop those skills. He finished the season over 300 snaps behind Dane Jackson, which unfortunately, in my opinion, is just a little bit egregious. We talked about we don't know all the circumstances that led to him not being on the field. We we don't know what goes on behind the scenes and why two weeks in a row he was a healthy scratch behind Xavier Rhodes, who was a practice squad player on the tail end of his career. But I think the sky is the limit for Kair Elam, and you saw his reps really increase into the playoffs. Um, he outsnapped Dane Jackson in both playoff games, which tells me in the money games, the Bills were seeing his ascension and were believing in him, and that is a great sign moving forward for Kair Elam. But to Luca's point, it's not about rookie of the year who flashed the most potential. It's about rookie of the year who produced the most. And um, for me, that's James Cook. So we're both going to have James Cook as our rookie of the year. 507 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown, 5.7 yards per carry. The eighth graded rookie running back per PFF graded ahead of guys like Isaiah Pacheco graded ahead of Brees Hall. So James Cook had a very solid season and he was a bright spot in what was a pretty underwhelming rushing attack by the Bills. Their rushing numbers were high, a lot of that because of what Josh Allen does. But I am very interested to see, particularly if Devin Singletary moves on, what James Cook could do in a larger 1A type role in this zone blocking scheme. So we both are going to give that one to James Cook. And we are going to move on now, Luca, to our third award here. And I'm excited for this one. This is the Most Improved Player Award. And since I've made you go first now twice in a row, I will go first on this one. And my own personal criteria, and this is this is our interpretation, my own personal criteria on this is going to be a player that was on the Bills roster last year and then is on the Bills roster this year. So to me, it came down to two names. I'm not going to name those names just yet, just in case Luca is going to choose one of them. So I'm going to go with Bill's second year defensive end, Gregory Rousseau. In his rookie year, he had four sacks. This past year, he had nine sacks. He was PFF's 20th overall graded edge rusher with a grade of 80.9. And I feel like lost in how good Von Miller was the first 10-ish games up until Thanksgiving was just how solid Greg Rousseau was on the other side. Now, was there an effect of having somebody getting double teamed on one end of the line? Absolutely. But that is the reason why you go out and get that Batman so the Robins can feast. And Gregory Rousseau, as much as any other player on that defensive line, feasted from the one-on-one matchups he was given because of Von Miller's presence. That is why you make Von Miller a historically high-paid defensive lineman. And and Gregory Rousseau, in his second year, a guy who had to miss a full year of development in college due to COVID. Now, he didn't have COVID, but he elected to sit out. A raw prospect came into the league as what was considered a project, and by his second year in the league, is graded as the 20th best edge rusher in the entire league. I know he tailed off a bit near the end of the year when Von Miller went out. I think it's very likely that his his high ankle sprain 
affected him. It's right around the same timeline. His first game back after the high ankle sprain was Von Miller's first game out. So I don't just want to say it's as simple as saying his production tailed off when Von Miller left. I think there's other options there for why he may have tailed off a bit. Very excited about Gregory Rousseau. And while Brandon Bean is coming under a lot of fire for some defensive linemen that haven't lived up to the hype, I don't think Gregory Rousseau is in that conversation. I think he has been as good as advertised since the Bills took him 30th overall two years ago, and he's my most improved Bills player. Yeah, makes sense. I just noticed I keep saying, yeah, every time you kick it over to me, but um, makes sense. <laughs> I, I think that that pick, uh, it it checks all the boxes. It, it's unfortunate the injury that happened, but he played through it, you know, after a couple of weeks off and he wasn't the same, but he still, you know, was somewhat effective as well. You just wish he would have been more effective due to other people being injured as well. It, it's not his fault. It's not to him that he, his performance dropped due to that, or he wasn't as imp- impactful due to someone else not being there. It's a, it's a solid pick overall. I did not go with um, someone that was on the Bills roster last season. Um, I ended up going with an individual that coming into it became impactful in the way we needed him to be at a position that was clearly a problem the previous season. That's the interior defensive line. And I think we're all know we, we all know where I'm going with this one. Daquan Jones absolutely deserves the acknowledgement here. I mean, you know, you brought up uh, PFF grades. He finished with a defensive uh, grade of 72.6. Most notably, his pass rush uh, grade was 72.8. The reason I bring up that most notable one, though, is he went from last season with, you know, 20, 23 total pressures and only one sack accounted for it. He had only seven more total pressures, but a total of five sacks. And it was just his presence also in the run game was just something that was there. He was able to stuff everything going on in his vicinity and was able to be some sort of interior defensive lineman on both facets of the game where it's just, he was impactful enough that it was notable when he was gone, even in the playoffs, like he was important enough to this team that when he was gone, we still did not have that guy to fill that hole. But when we did have him for majority of the season, he was very, very key on the interior defensive line to make sure nothing was easy going there, which it had been in 2021 and 2020 and so on and so forth. Like that was a clear problem for this defense up until his arrival here this season. So to me, for both the team and him himself individually, it just seems like a perfect marriage there. Most improved player on the season, even though he wasn't a bill in 2021 in this 2022 season is Daquan Jones for me. I love that pick. And honestly, if I hadn't given myself the the rule of having to pick a player that was on the Bills, what an unbelievable signing for Brandon Bean. And you know, I'm going to give you credit again, like on, on our show, one of our very first episodes of Bills Chat, when that signing was announced, you were like, this guy is going to be everything we thought Star Latule was going to be. And he really was. He took those double teams at nose tackle, and he generated a pass rush too, which I really felt like when they signed him, like, okay, it's not going to show up in the box score. Is he? Can he keep Edmonds and Milano clean and Taron Johnson clean? Not only did he do that, but he was generating a pass rush, particularly early in the year before Vaughn went out. So I'm very excited about what Daquan Jones can bring his second year with the Bills, and they greatly missed him in that playoff game against the Bengals. All right, well, let's move on to our next award. And this has been a very happy, positive show. But unfortunately, we have a little bit of negativity to talk about. And this really is a shout out to our loyal listeners and viewers of Bill's Chat Podcast, especially the post-game shows. 
if you are a listener, you know we have a segment at the end of every game called Game Balls and Game Checks. Game Ball is exactly what it sounds like. It's the game MVP, the player that Luca and I just thinks is deserving of a game ball for their performance in the Bills game. Game Check is a player that we want their game check back because they were either a net negative in the game or they really didn't even need to show up because they were so inconsequential to the overall outcome of the game. And I will give Luca credit. When Zach Moss was traded away for Naheem Hines, he had the idea that we should call it the Zach Moss Memorial Award because there was a string of weeks where Zach Moss continued to get a game check from us because of how frustrated we were that he was on the field taking snaps away from James Cook and even Devin Singletary. And it felt like every time he got the ball, he's being tackled behind the line of scrimmage. So for that, Luca, for the final Zach Moss Memorial Award game check for 2022, which player gets that award for you for the entire season? This is a beautiful award. This is th- this award brings me the most joy out of every award we have possibly been able to give out tonight, just simply because I love talking about players that I feel are useless. No, um, <laughs> I just am proud that we have had a segment that I have loved and endeared throughout this entire season. And we were able to even give it a name, which it will retire after this year. We will go back. Maybe we will figure out another individual to, you know, accommodate or put the name on. Maybe this will become a season by season thing. Who knows? Stay tuned. But to give a Zach Moss Memorial Award of the year is you are in the top echelon of I hate you and I just want nothing to do with you. And I swear to a higher being, please don't ever come back. And if you do, just get, do something better, just anything better. Just, you know, maybe just lift an extra weight, do something else because you are completely useless. You absolutely deserve all my hatred. And I am done ranting on this because I don't want to get too, too negative here. <laughs> but the individual that I'm going to name in this is, I think, what we will call the majority uh, of people out there will give an award like this to. And this guy just, look, it kind of comes down to this one, he was bad. But two, the expectation of what he was supposed to give this team was far beyond what he was able to give us. And by that, I mean, we expected him to give us reliable play at his position in some level of starting quality. And he did something that was like, I would rather take Bobby Hart off the street, you know, playing left guard where you are, because at least he maybe won't be a liability snap in play after play after play after play. I don't think that's the reality of it all. Of course, you know, uh, Bobby Hart's Bobby Hart, but who knows? I wouldn't have liked to see it, but I would have loved to see anyone else but you because you were useless. So without further ado, my Zach Moss Memorial Award of the year goes to Roger Saffold because you were just absolutely useless and beyond disappointing on what you gave this team or didn't give this team, I guess is a weird way to say it because Man, you were just tough to watch every week. And it was, it's funny, Josh, like this individual, I don't think once, maybe he did once or twice throughout the year, got this award from us. But us talking about him week after week after week, if you really go back and listen to our podcast, 
it just progressively gets more disappointing out of our voices when we bring up Roger Saffold. Like then preseason and when the signing initially happened, it was like, oh my goodness, a left guard that has starting experience that can be dependable, maybe can add something to the run game. You know, all this, all these things that you expected from him were all there and the hope was there. And then after a few weeks, you're like, okay, like maybe he's just trying to figure it out. He's on a new team trying to figure out this whole thing going on. What's whatever's going, there's a play here or there. Maybe you can kind of grasp and be like, oh, uh, if he can just do this a little bit on a more regular occurrence, it's okay. And unfortunately, it went the opposite direction. And as the season progressed, you didn't even have that one or two thing you could hold on to and be like, maybe if he can kind of draw from this and it just got worse and worse. And eventually by, I don't know, week 10, week 12, it was just like, can we get anything else in there? Like, is anyone else healthy enough and willing enough to be our left guard? Because Saffold is legitimate is a legitimate liability there at his current position. And I just don't want to see Josh Allen die because this dude can't put a finger on anyone across from him, whether, you know, and he can't even block for anyone either when it comes to the run game. Like it was just like, this guy is useless. He is a warm body filling up a position where maybe we can get some utilization elsewhere from another warm body. And if it doesn't work out, at least you just tried something different. And I can look at that positively for you benching Roger Saffold. So yeah, no, enough about this useless sack of crap. Um, Roger Saffold, congratulations. You have uh, gone to the mantelpiece with a beautiful award. That is the Zach Moss Memorial Award of the year. PFF gave Roger Saffold a grade of 44 and they have him as the 74th of 78 qualified offensive guards. And he's made back-to-back Pro Bowls, Luca, including this year with the Bills, which oh. should tell you everything you need to know about the Pro Bowl process. But that is a great pick, and I have a hard time poking any holes in that. The, the holes that uh, we thought that Roger Saffold was going to open up on the offensive line didn't exist, and the holes in this argument do not exist. Um, it's a great pick. He was absolutely in consideration for me. I'm going to give you a couple more guys who were in consideration for me. Um, Jake Kumaro, and this one's a little unfair because his season ended very short with an injury, but when you factor in how little of an impact he was having now, he played well against the Titans in week two when Gabe Davis was out. So it's kind of unfair to say that he wouldn't have done well had he been able to play. But when you also factor in that he ended up costing the bills indirectly, Isaiah Hodgins, Um, I think that at least warrants consideration, but I'm not going to go there. It's really unfair with the injury situation. Um, Who knows what would have happened with Jake Kumaro this season if he was healthy. Boogie Basham's another guy where I feel like right now he and Ed Oliver are kind of like the face of the disappointment with the defensive line. And the reason why I couldn't give it to Ed Oliver is it feels like he was the game ball award winner for the Thanksgiving Day game, particularly on defense. Uh, took over that game defensively after Vaughn went out. Um, Boogie Basham really didn't have a moment like that. Second round pick from two years ago. And you really felt like he was a guy that was ready to hit the ground running where Rousseau was more of a project and Basham was more plug and play. And it just has not transpired. And Lucas pointed out numerous times in our post game shows that Boogie Basham does not contain the edge on the run. Like, it's bad enough to not get pressure in the pass game. Can you at least contain the edge on the run? And it was, uh, we constantly brought it up with him and Epinesa in the run game. You, you definitely showed your frustrations with them. That's not where I'm going either. I'm going to go with the bills third round pick 
Terrell Bernard because I truly feel like Luca, he could have never reported to the Bills after they took him in the third round, and their season would have been absolutely positively not one bit different because he, the Bills between Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, missed. Uh, Edmonds missed three and a half games. Milano missed one and a half games. So that's five ish games quarter wise. When you add them up, he started one game. They saw enough from him in that one game against the jets to say he's never starting again. And in fact, they went out and signed AJ Klein off the street. And in less than a week of preparation said, Hey, AJ Klein, you're going to play every snap on Thanksgiving instead of Bernard because Tremaine Edmonds is out. And by the way, Bernard, you're not getting another single defensive snap the rest of the year. You're just going to be a special teams player. And to wrap it all up in the playoff game where the Bills had injuries left and right to Daquan Jones, they had injuries. Jordan Phillips had uh, one arm he could barely lift. He was out there gutting it out. They had no Micah Hyde. It's like the Bills could just use healthy bodies on defense. Their third round pick linebacker didn't even get a uniform that day. That's how little they thought of him with their season on the line. And to me, that's everything you look for in this game check award. A guy who didn't even need to show up and your season doesn't change one single solitary bit. So Terrell Bernard gets my game check, Luca. I love it. Using this segment kind of as one more way to get that little knife in on Terrell Bernard. Because if again, if you haven't listened to our uh, latest Built in Buffalo Live episode where we did our rookie report card, um, there's enough that's said about Terrell Bernard that that pick by Josh here on this podcast should not be a any surprise to you. I mean, I easily could have laid into Terrell Bernard myself. Um, and it just simply could have been because look, you could have given us everything that linebackers I liked better around you that were picked after you could have given us like, why, why did I have to then see us take this individual? He gave us one game film and it's like, yo, you aren't even worth dressing. You actually might become a liability if you are available for us on act on game day roster, like go sit up in the stands, go go stay at home, do whatever you need to do, buddy. You are not worth our time. And it, it, you know, it, he does fit the award perfectly, right? Like if you look at it as a game check award, if you look at it as the Zach Moss Memorial award, like he fits it so perfectly, like Saffold to me fits it very, very well, but Terrell Bernard almost fits it too perfectly. Like we legitimately would be the exact same without you. And honestly, if you were there, you could have been a liability in every facet of the game. So Look, I would I would love to give you this award and take your game check away because at least we're saving money. Like, why? Why? Why do you exist on this team in this organization? The good news is he's young. Maybe by some miracle and surprise of an offseason, he can actually be something of use next year or just maybe not be a complete useless sack of crap and actually, you know, do something like be a special teamer. I will take him being a reliable special teamer and maybe even make a play here or there on special teams because I don't think that even happened this season. The only notable play he had 
this entire season, even with preseason, is that first preseason game where he had a scoop and score that he did not cause the fumble, and he almost got tracked down by someone on the Colts team that he was doing it. And it's like, this guy should have no business getting tracked down by a tight end or whoever it was. It's like, oh, this is concerning that, you know, he's been slow all game, and now he's a scoop and score where he almost gets caught from behind. Like, it took a mob of his teammates to allow him to get to the end zone. It's like, please, Terrell please, please, please don't look like a complete bust at even as a third round pick figure it out this off season. But yeah, Josh, great pick fits, fits the mold of the award perfectly. And depending on what happens with Tremaine Edmonds, this becomes a really, really important off season for Terrell Bernard. And I have not given up on him. I, it felt like, I mean, to my eyes, to Luca's eyes, the game was moving way too fast for him when he was on the field. You could just see he had slow eyes out there. He was not reacting fast. From an agility standpoint, he actually compares fairly comparable to Tremaine Edmonds. He doesn't have near the size and the length and the wingspan and the things that that make Tremaine Edmonds such an elite physical presence out there. Um, but I do think there's a chance that he grows into a serviceable, if not solid NFL linebacker, but he's absolutely positively not there yet. And uh, we will wish him the best going forward with that. So, Luca, it is time now. We have three awards left. We have MVP offensive player and defensive player. And we're going to go with MVP first because we both agreed that if we were to name an offensive player for our MVP award, that player would be disqualified from the offensive player of the year award. Like you wouldn't want to give it to say like Stefan Diggs, MVP, Stefan Diggs, offensive player, or, you know, vice versa, Matt Milano, MVP, Matt Milano, defensive player. So it makes sense to do MVP first and then sort out the rest there. All right. Well, MVP of the Buffalo Bills. I'll go first on this one, Luca. Okay. If you don't mind. Um, There's there's some candidates here. I think there's probably two when you really narrow it down of who it could be realistically when you look at how they rank up with everybody else in the league. And I'm going to I'm not going to get too creative here. I'm not going to think too far outside the box. I'm going to go with Josh Allen. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say too much because I think there's a a high probability. Maybe you go in the same direction. So I don't want to steal too much of your thunder if you do. And if not, I'll be happy to hop in on the tail end and say other things about him as well. But Josh Allen had with um, an UCL injury from midseason on had 4,283 passing yards, seventh most in the NFL, 35 passing touchdowns second in the NFL and oh by the way added 762 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns on top of that so Josh Allen is an absolute offensive force Um, we've talked at nauseam about the holes on this offensive line Luca just mentioned Roger Saffold we've seen some issues with Spencer Brown Um, we've talked about the weapons on this offensive line leaving a lot to be desired we've talking about we've talked about the creativity of Ken Dorsey leaving a lot to be desired when you compare it to what Brian Dayball did. And all of that amounted to statistically a very similar output offensively from last year when they had Brian Dayball, when they had Daryl Williams and John Feliciano instead of Roger Saffold, when they had Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley a year younger instead of Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis as wide receiver too. And I think all of that credit to me goes to Josh Allen and you look at the the game winning drives he led and the comeback against Baltimore and the game winning drive and comeback against Kansas City and leading them back in that game against Miami 
in December and how he willed the team to victory when you could just tell he was laboring against Detroit with an undermanned roster. I I don't want to go too far into this because I do have a sneaky suspicion we might be agreeing on this. Um, I will just say, picturing this team without Josh Allen, I think we'd have a lot of different opinions about a lot of different players on this roster. Um, so with that, he's my MVP, and I do expect him to be in the top three or four for overall league MVP, maybe even as high as two when the voting count gets done. So for that, he's my Bills 2022 MVP. Your uh, second to last point, if you don't consider your MVP voting finalist uh, situation. So your last point to Josh Allen to this team um, is the point that really drives home where I probably go with this myself. And just kind of to not tail on on where my pick is, we are definitely in simpatico here. And yeah, my MVP is also Josh Allen. And it's more because of that final point you just made. Just imagining where this team would be without 17 under center or in gun, technically. Um, it would just be fascinating to me and depressing all at the same time where this roster and everything and where they could be. If Josh Allen weren't on this team, it, it really feels like a team that would be top three for a pick right now. And we'd be having a conversation on which quarterback in this upcoming draft would we like to take the lead as the quarterback moving forward for this franchise and hopefully be a franchise quarterback. Luckily, we don't have to have that conversation because Josh Allen is there. And on top of it all, you know, again, we, we use PFF and it's like, it's kind of, you use it with a grain of salt. You don't use it as your underlying, this is end all be all of conversations. But Josh Allen, his overall offensive grade, this was his best season to date. He had a 91.6 overall grade. The 2020 season was a 90.9. So obviously it's, you know, 0.7 difference. But that just says something like any year where he had an elbow issue and he was fighting through it from week seven on. Well, I guess week eight, since it was at the very end of or sorry, week nine, because it was at the end of week eight. I keep tripping on the bye week there. Um, he's dealing with that for half a season and you had everything going on with that and he's fighting through all of this and he still had a great statistical season and he was coming up with big plays time and time again and carrying this roster to heights that they achieved with this season as a 13 and three division winner second seed, unfortunately due to not being able to play 17 game season. Although we don't know how that 17th game would have gone, but regardless, he got them there. It's all on him. It really is like we don't want it to be like that. We'd love to get him a better supporting cast. That's the whole talk of what we're probably going to be having with this offseason. Like, how can we make sure we both protect Josh Allen and give him a better supporting cast? Because that's where we really feel this team should go. But luckily, we have that guy. We have 17 there that we can have these conversations about and not have to be sitting here talking about who can be potentially our next franchise quarterback because. You know, there's always people out there, too, by the way, you know, maybe you might like a guy more than, you know, say what you have. But at the same time, like F them draft picks and stuff. And that mentality is there because what you have, what is, you know, what's factual and, you know, you have is a hell of a lot better than projections. We learned that with this Bills team going preseason to now the projection of this team was Super Bowl favorites. This is the deepest roster. The reality is that's not actually what it is. We aren't going to win the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, that is a fact now. And this roster has clear holes that need to be filled and things that need to be done in order to be that Super Bowl team. So if it wasn't for Josh Allen, we wouldn't even be remotely close to this conversation. We wouldn't even 
we wouldn't even sniffed double digit wins or even a 500 record. Like we would be substantially under 500 and this team would be nowhere. This organization would be nowhere. McDermott wouldn't have a job right now if it wasn't for Sean or Josh Allen, Sean Allen, Josh Allen. So like everything points to Josh Allen. And as you started your point with even, you can't overthink it. Like Josh Allen is the MVP of this team, unless someone else just steps up and has a phenomenal year uh, on the defensive side of the ball, most likely, but maybe even like Diggs has a 2,200 receiving yard year or something where he breaks records and stuff. Like that's what it would take to unseat a Josh Allen MVP. It's just, he is too valuable to this team to the core of most valuable player. He is that V he is that most valuable player to this team and organization as a whole. If we don't have that guy, we are nothing. We can't do anything. So, yeah, it just has to be Josh Allen. And I think as we move into this offseason, it's going to be very tempting. I think people are going to go one of two ways as this Bengals game gets further and further in the rearview mirror. One, you're going to take more of a positive approach of like, okay, it was a bad game. They were missing X, Y, and Z. This team still won 13 games, yada, yada, yada. Or you're going to take more of a pessimistic approach of like, this is who they were all along. They finally stepped up in weight class after beating up on the Bears and the Browns and the Lions, and they got exposed. Um, depending on which side of the fence you're going to be on, that that is your choice. And Luca and I will certainly play our role in helping you navigate through all of that this offseason. Uh, but one thing that is for sure is Josh Allen will be on the 2023 Bills and will be here for the foreseeable future. And because of that, I firmly believe he is so good that it's going to be Brandon Bean would have to try really, really hard to make this roster bad enough that Josh Allen can't get them to the playoffs. That's how good he is. And if you make it to the playoffs, you have a shot to win it. And that is not a shot at Brandon Bean whatsoever. I think Brandon Bean is a good GM. And I think some of the misses he's had recently, there was just a bright light shined on them in that one game. I'm fully confident he's going to get this team back on the rails and competing. But I think no matter whether you're pessimistic or optimistic, the presence of Josh Allen on this roster should at least make you feel like no matter what else happens, this window is still wide open until Allen is no longer on the team, which is hopefully a little over a decade from now. Um, all right. Well, maybe a lot over a decade from now. Maybe he's going to be like Tom Brady and play into his 40s. We'll see. <laughs> I think this conversation might be a little shorter, Luca. We're going to talk about offensive player. Um, you know, if Josh Allen is not eligible for offensive player because he wins the MVP, uh, to me, it's a pretty quick discussion. Stefan Diggs, 108 receptions, fourth in the NFL. 1,429 receiving yards, fifth in the NFL, 11 receiving touchdowns, third in the NFL. Um, whenever Josh Allen needed a play, you just saw the trust he had in Diggs. And it wasn't like Diggs had consistent weapons in Dawson Knox and Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie just drawing coverage away from him. Knox and maybe even Davis had games where they blew up. But for the most part, especially as the season went on, teams knew you have to focus all your energy on digs. And if these other guys beat you, let them beat you. And that is where I think a lot of the focus is going to be this off season. But for digs in that environment to still put up the numbers, he did. He is a special, special player. He is an absolute superstar in this league. And with that, he's my offensive player of the year. Um, 
I want to use this opportunity because yes, Stefan Diggs is offensive player of the year. And the reasoning is kind of simple in itself. Um, as you've said, this is probably a quick discussion, but I'm just going to throw out some numbers here. And I, I'm curious to see what your response is to this, because where I'm going is these are all PFF grades. These are all PFF overall grades. All right. So Diggs finished the year with an 89.1 and you know, that's phenomenal. Obviously that's superstar. He was fifth out of 116 qualifying wide receivers. And that's just top class. There's a reason he is Stefan Diggs and how good he is. And he absolutely deserves to be that top five standing. The other numbers I'm going to throw to you are 78.6, Now that is essentially the other four we'll call weapons that they deem to be the individuals that would be out there in air, our normal three wide package that you would see out of this offense. Could you even tell me who you think those four numbers are? And I'll say them one more time and name who you think fits each one of those 78.6, 66.5, 66.0, 66.4. So I guess 66.4 or 66 even. However, so that, but, that is a tight end, two wide receivers, and a running back. Correct. Okay, and I'm assuming the running back is Singletary. Um, I, well, I know PFF loves Singletary, so I'm going to give him the, the highest grade there. Okay, you're you're one for one there. Yep. Um, I'm, I I would say the next two are McKenzie and Davis. Maybe Davis slightly ahead of McKenzie, but I think those two were like really close, right? Like that. I would say whatever the two were that were really close at the sixty high sixties. I would say McKenzie then or Davis then McKenzie. So you're deliberating on this and all three of them are within 0.5 of each other. If you 66.5, 66.4, 66, even, I mean, they're all, Oh, okay. Yeah. Then, okay. Then I would say Knox last, I guess I would not agree with that, but that's what I would say. So the next is Knox at 66.5. Then it is Davis at 66.4 and it is last McKenzie at 66, even, but those last three, especially because Singletary, of course, is not viewed as a major receiving weapon. It's not exactly a Josh Allen weapon. He is what we would call our more, quote unquote, traditional running back where we can use him in the running game. He's pass blocking, so on and so forth. And yes, you are right. PFF does love Singletary and, you know, deservingly so. He does. He's kind of reliable and there's a reason Josh Allen even trusts him. But when you see these other weapons around Josh Allen and we, you know, we've beat that kind of whole message to a death. You have Diggs as an 89.1 and the next closest receiving option you have is a 66.5 and it is the 23rd out of 74 ranked tight end. And then out of that, you have the 63rd ranked wide receiver and 64th ranked wide receiver out of that 116. So you basically have middle of the road wide receivers and a, I guess, borderline top third tight end. And then there's Diggs. And, and it's just like that to me also shows for Diggs to have the stats in the year that he did statistically and everything like that in an offense where there is really nothing else that a defense needs to care about. That is why you are offensive player of the year. That is why he is that special. And he is that good because just imagine what Diggs could do in an offense when a defense needs to care about one other thing. Like that's why also, I get frustrated like in the regular season, I'm not expecting Josh Allen to run free, but in these postseason games, it's like you need to in some way create a secondary threat to this defense other than digs. If they can just bracket digs away and it completely eliminates everything, 
That is frustrating. If Josh Allen's legs 15 to 20 times a game, not that you really want to get down that road, but if that's the only thing you got, you need to do it because you can't have digs be completely useless in the playoffs. But right there, that point alone with the with the grade level and the disparity in this offense between him and everyone else. And if Josh Allen can't be also offensive player of the year because that's just silly. Yeah, Diggs is the obvious choice for this award here. We have all off season to talk about this and we certainly will. I will just wrap up your point because I, I feel myself getting frustrated and I wonder if folks out there listening are getting frustrated. Um, we have a unicorn at quarterback that can do things that other quarterbacks in this league cannot dream of. He can throw the ball as well as anybody. He can run the ball like a running back and he can throw the ball all to all inches of the field with his cannon arm. And the Bills have an elite wide receiver in digs. And I understand, hey, they're a top five offense. They're top two by some metrics. It looks just as good as it did with Dable. Let's stop pretending like it's not because the elite quarterback and the elite wide receiver are just carrying everybody else along. Do they have a couple good pieces on the offensive line? Yes, they have Mitch Morse. They have Deion Dawkins, who I think is becoming criminally underrated by Bills Mafia at this point, treating him like he's also Spencer Brown. I think Deion Dawkins is is a solid left tackle. But just imagine what this offense would look like with a stud receiver also with digs and how unstoppable this off this offense would be. And I will also tell you digs is going to be 30 years old next season. And it gets bleak pretty quick after 30 for a lot of receivers. So the time is now to add a couple of really solid receivers to the pipeline while you're grooming Khalil Shakir, while you're not giving up on Gabe Davis and you're still seeing what he can have going into year four, add a couple more to the pipeline, get them filtered through, see what we have. Because before we know it, Diggs, who is one of the best players on this team, is going to be 31, 32, and not the game breaker he is now. And you need to have some answers outside of that because right now the Bills have an opportunity and don't just be satisfied with, oh, well, they're top five or so in scoring and, and, you know, top two here and there. And it looks just like Dable stats. Let's try to be great. Let's try to be the best. And the, the potential is there to be the. you have the hardest piece to find a unicorn quarterback that I would say 30 other teams would trade their quarterback and their general manager's right arm for. And you have that. Let's get greedy. Let's let's add more elite pieces around him and let's not just rely on him and the one elite weapon we have. I think Knox is fine. I think as a tight end goes, Knox is perfectly fine, reasonable. If you want to say he's overpaid, I would not necessarily say that because I think the tight end market is about to boom with guys like Jacecki getting paid and the new CBA or not the new CBA, the new salary cap. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, add some more wide receivers to this offense and let's just see how fantastically great it can be. Defensive player of the year, Luca. This one might be interesting. Um, and, you know, nobody obviously won from the defensive side of the ball MVP. So we have the entire roster available to us for this award. Um, you know, I'm not going to bore everybody with going down the list of names that qualify here. I'll just kick it over to you and you tell me what you're thinking about defensive player of the year. Um, defensive player of the year for me was an interesting one. Just because there's a couple choices here. You know, we talked about Josh Allen and even Diggs is kind of the same thing. You don't overthink it. It just is what it is. It's so readily apparent to you and it's so obvious that you just can't overthink it. 
defensive player of the year doesn't feel like one you can overthink. It feels like one that you actually do need to put some thought into and really should think about what this defense was with this player in it. And I say that in a very specific way because one, this defense was never really fully healthy. It was very rarely fully healthy. I mean, you can really say the only time it was at full health was uh, for a week and a quarter plus uh, up until Micah Hyde's injury. And then it just, everything fell apart from there, unfortunately, and just the unfortunate circumstances happened and so on and so forth. And I would love to just give it to Micah Hyde because, you know, why not? Because I don't really want to give it to anyone else here. Just kidding people like, <laughs> you know what it is. I just love Micah Hyde so much. Um, with that said, and everything going on with that, I it's it's like I the the one choice just seems like Milano. I feel like a lot of people out there would probably give this to Milano. He is first team all pro, everything like that. And I I don't want to go too too much into it because I would love to hear what Josh's take is on it. But Matt Milano's not where I'm going to go. Um, then there's a couple other guys and stuff. And there's an individual if you are even a PFF person like Josh and I are, you know, and love to look at that. That was above Matt Milano in his own position. And that's also not where I'm going. I'm going with Von Miller. And it's just on the bottom line, he played enough games and he showed me enough that in this defense, even at a position that like a 4-3 D end where he really is never asked to be for the most part going into this. Now he's he's part of this. He's committed to this. He's doing everything. And he's everything we wanted him to be. Josh earlier in this episode talked in, about an honorable mention with the Kansas City game. And that was the game he showed us. He is exactly what we brought him in to be. He is the closer. He is everything. Up until his unfortunate injury playing on dog shit turf that absolutely just rips up everyone's knees, it seems like. He was that guy, and he was so vital. Our pass rush was there. Our pressure on everything was there. The run defense from our front line was there. And Von Miller was everything about that. It was so vital to him, and he got all the way to Thanksgiving as that key piece to that defense. And the defense was able to disguise all its deficiencies in the secondary. And even at times, you know, it's interior D line may have had some off games here and there and Von Miller and then Rousseau opposite of him when also healthy, were able to kind of just disguise all of that. And Von was that key. Von was the crown jewel to the defense. And I know he wasn't able to finish the year and he wasn't able to be there in the playoffs. And it, it sucks. And I hate giving it to someone like that, but his importance to this defense and what he was able to be for this defense and how he was able to elevate them, him himself, just as the, for that alone, to me, he has to be the defensive player of the year. It just, it sucks the way the season ended, especially with him and everything like that. But what he was able to provide for two thirds of the season and what he showed he was capable of doing in a defense that we then now saw afterwards was not nearly good enough to cut it in any meaningful set, any meaningful way against a good team. Von Miller, absolutely to me, is the defensive player of the year for this Buffalo Bills team. Eight sacks in 10 games. Um, with Von Miller on the field, the Bills ranked fourth in the NFL in pressure rate with four or less pass rushers, which was the entire entire idea behind getting Von Miller. You could run the Leslie Frazier rush four, drop seven, and they were the fourth best team in the NFL getting pressure with four. And that's with a rotation. So that's not even with Von Miller on the field 35% of the time. After his injury, the Bills dipped to 27th in the NFL in pressure rate with four or less pass rushers. It tanked the entire scheme. And it was so evident in the Bengals game, 
in the second Miami game, the one the Bills won, um, it, it was obvious. Um, I understand all the conversations about Matt Milano. I think Matt Milano had a fantastic season. I understand the conversations about Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds had a fantastic season. Some of us, Luca and I, have been on the Tremaine Edmonds bandwagon for more than just this year. And I'm glad that other people now are seeing what he's capable of. There's been others that have been on the bandwagon, but you know, Tremaine Edmonds has been this guy and he had his best year, but Luca, this is probably going to surprise you. I, I think when you picked Von Miller, you were expecting me to go a different direction, maybe even because of the fact that his injury, you thought maybe would disqualify him in my mind, but we are sweeping this. This is Von Miller. I don't even know how close it is. He was everything you wanted him to be when you signed him. And he closed out the Kansas city game, taking the ball out of Mahomes' hands. The last two drives, he was on the field, forcing the chiefs to punt and then getting the pressure that led to the Taron Johnson interception. He got a sack fumble on the jets in the Meadowlands that got the ball right back in Josh Allen's hands when the offense was doing nothing. And then Josh Allen turns it over on the next play. Like he kept the bills in the game. He closed out the Vikings game right before that miracle play where Cam Lewis, instead of knocking the ball down and Justin Jefferson catches it without touching the ground, um, they had to basically throw a Hail Mary to Justin Jefferson. Von Miller is the one who sacked the Vikings on third down and got them to that fourth and miracle play. He was everything we wanted him to be. He killed the Rams week one, and he was a leader. He brought the mindset to this team. And I would ask anybody out there, be honest with yourself. Most valuable player, value. Would you trade if I went back in time and was a magic genie and said, this is how the Bills game is going to go against the Bengals in the playoffs. But what I'm going to offer you is a restart and Von Miller's healthy, but you have to give me Matt Milano. You have to, or you have to give me Tremaine Edmonds respectfully, or you have to give me Jordan Poyer. You're taking that deal 10 times out of 10, regardless of who the player is. Give me Von Miller out there. I'll take my chances with the backup safety or the backup linebacker. Terrell Bernard may be playing in a playoff game. Probably not. Probably AJ Klein, but you get the idea. Von Miller was as good as advertised, the best player on the defense, arguably the best player on the team. And it's just a damn shame that it ended the way it did on Thanksgiving. But yes, I am with you. Co-signed defensive player of the year. Von Miller for the Buffalo Bills. Luca, are you surprised we agreed on that? No, no. I, I think as I was going through it, I, I kind of saw your facial expressions. I'm like, I think he's on the same boat here. I think yeah. he understands where I'm coming from with this. Um, I, I guess it's just like, yeah, I the only thing is I wasn't sure about your criteria and if, you know, how long did you need to play and stuff like that. We, we've talked off air and stuff about MVP and MVP seems like the only one where you really got to play all season. You can't be the most valuable player if your greatest value which is availability is not there at any point in time like you just can't do that it's kind of like why Jalen Hurts just will not win MVP of course it's like look he had a great season and everything's great but when you're not available for a couple games you're no longer the most valuable player to your team like your team still got to where they are even without you in a couple games it doesn't matter that you know he basically got him to that point in the first place it's you got to be available um, defensive player of the year is just who was the biggest key to the defense? Who was the most important thing to that defense? Your scenario or your, re, you know, your question of would you trade off Von Miller, a healthy Von Miller or 
you know, late season healthy. I have in quotation marks because obviously no one's at 100%. But would you take a on the field Von Miller at the cost of Poyer, Milano, Edmonds, you know, of that variety? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure everyone would. You know, you're going to have maybe people out there that are like, we can't have Jaquan Johnson out there. Like, what are we doing? And I mean, I'm partially with you on that one, but again, <laughs> I can see where you're coming from with that. But at the same time, like at least you have Von Miller. And as you pointed out, all the stats, when this D line had Von Miller, everything was there that they were so substantially better that you probably have a better chance at disguising that deficiency than having whatever you have behind the defensive line need to hold up with the deficiencies on that defensive line due to him out. Like that's the counterpoint to that argument there. It's like that, big drop off you saw when von miller was gone is just too it's too much like the cincinnati game was a perfect example of why you can't lose a guy like that it's just you need something you need that game wrecker you need that game breaker to make something happen every great team has that guy like every great team it's why i don't think he's overlooked but at the same time you never hear about him too much until recent it seems like finally now that kansas city is really starting to find i mean they've kind of already been in this talks but now it's like okay is this a dynasty they just got back to their third super bowl in four years and and yada 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 it's like now chris jones is finally getting so much love like everyone's realizing how much of a problem he has always been i just feel like early on in the kansas city era you weren't hearing about him as much from the national media and stuff. He wasn't talked about as that game breaker, but he always was that guy. And you have to have that guy. Their secondary's not never been anything special. Their linebacking core has never been anything of note, to be honest, ever. It's like, but they had Chris Jones and you have this game breaker who's always there and available. And that's why they get there. Nick Bosa. Look at the San Francisco 49ers. Nick Bosa, when healthy, has that Niners team being the best ranked defense in the National Football League. When he is not there, they are still decent because they do have a lot of great pieces around that defense, but it's not the same. Like the Cardinals and the Rams and you know whoever else they're playing, they can beat them all of a sudden when that game breaker is no longer on the edge. You know, that's how important that guy is. You can take a good defense and make them or you can take a good defense and make them really good or you could take a already solid defense and make them the best in the league just because of that one guy and von miller really was that one piece to this bills defense for two-thirds of the season that showed you that hey we might have a couple secondary problems we might have you know rotating bodies in at linebackers but as long as we got von miller we're getting pressure and as long as you get pressure you can force problems as long as you can force problems you should be able to win football games like that's that that's it. That's the bottom line. That's how it works. Yep. I agree hundred percent. Valuable is not only about how good you are, but how your impact affects other people. And there's tangible proof that when Von Miller is on the field doing his thing, the rising tide lifts everybody and just proof. AJ Epinesa had six and a half sacks. Von Miller had eight. That doesn't sound like a lot different. I don't think AJ Epinesa was out there raising the game of Daquan Jones Greg Russo, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, the defensive backs. Um, it's a shame it ended early. You have to knock on wood and hope that Von Miller gets back to his pre-ACL tear form because if the Bills can get him back and get him right, that solves a lot of issues that a lot of us are sitting here worried about right now. Just give me Von Miller back and I'm almost back in run it back mode. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. This was fun, Luca. I think it was a necessary exercise for us to go through because it reminds us that while the bad taste is still in our mouth from how the season ended, there's a lot to be grateful for, for 
the players and some of the experiences we had this year. Yeah, it we've we've talked about a couple episodes this year. I just did the yeah thing again. It caught me off guard. Um, <laughs> sorry, you caught yourself uh, off guard. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've talked about a couple episodes this season that were therapeutic. And I think this is just yet another one of those, right? We've had some time to think things over. And those other episodes were kind of, you know, post-game episodes. The the Vikings one is the one that comes <laughs> to mind, especially when it comes to therapy. But this one, we've, we're have able to kind of temper our, you know, anger or whatever was going on emotion emotionally, bring it back, look at the season as a whole, and kind of just appreciate things that I feel like if we didn't sit down and have this conversation, if we didn't sit down and have our own little award ceremony, we may have not been able to really appreciate. I think the time would have come eventually, of course. We we love talking about Bills even when we're not recording and stuff. It's just what brought us to this place in the first place. Josh, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. You know, we we look forward to that. It's been awesome. It's a great ride. But, I mean, we would have been doing this regardless. It's just fun to actually do it on air with you, stuff like that, and kind of just really therapeutic. It's really therapeutic to then sit, have this conversation, and appreciate things throughout this year. And it, this is a beautiful bookend to that 2022 season. And um, everyone deserves the accolades or the Zach Moss Memorial Awards that we handed out today. And it, I hope people appreciate that or maybe even do it themselves. You know, just kind of look at the highlights, look at the things to appreciate about this team. It doesn't mean you have to ignore the deficiencies and the holes and the, everything we're going to eventually talk about going into the offseason and draft and free agency and so on and so forth. Like, you can still appreciate something and enjoy something while understanding it's not perfect. Like, look, you love other people in life and no one is perfect. You know, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus here, but no one is perfect and you still love and appreciate those people even with their deficiencies. That is just how things work. Do that also with your fandom. You can have it both ways in that regard. You don't need to act like because you love something, there is nothing wrong with it. That is the Buffalo Bills. It's like, it's okay. We see both sides of this thing. Now, how can we move forward? So hopefully we don't need to have therapy sessions. We can have celebrations. But until that time, doing exercises like this can help you enjoy stuff a little bit more, especially when it might seem down at that time. 100% agree. And with that, we officially turn the page and put a bow on the 2022 Buffalo Bills. We will not ignore the lessons we learned from 2022. We will use them in our evaluation of what this team needs to do this offseason as we move forward with Bills Chat and talk about free agency and talk about the draft. We will remember everything we learned in 2022, but we will stop dwelling on 2022 as it is now a new year. It is the calendar year 2023. These Buffalo Bills are the second favorite to win the Super Bowl in 2023. And Luca and I will be here all off-season long with you. We cannot thank you enough for joining us on this ride. Luca mentioned it is coming up on our one-year anniversary. And we will figure this thing out together for how the Bills can get back to and winning the AFC Championship game, something they have not been able to do for the past couple of years. Luca and I will not be back next week. We are taking Super Bowl weekend off. Just thought that, hey, you know, the, the mind of the world is on the Super Bowl. Uh, we're going to take that weekend off. We should be back with Bill's chat the week after that. 
we're going to relax the schedule a little bit here in February um, prior to free agency. But if you've been with us since the beginning, you know, as much as we love the games and analyzing the games, Luca and I live for this offseason talk, and it will not be long before we're diving two feet in to free agency and then our favorite, the draft. And if you need draft information and free agent information, this is where you want to be. We love it. We will go through all the prospects and all the rounds that fit the bill. And uh, we cannot wait for that. Uh, For Luca, I am Josh. We will see you next time on Bill's Chat on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network.